Welcome to Insights on Responsible Business, a podcast about organizations building trust, security, and resilience to thrive in a new era of uncertainty and stakeholder capitalism. Listen to business leaders discuss their challenges and experiences in becoming more responsible businesses towards an outcome that is better for all stakeholders, better for the long-term shareholder value, and better for society as a whole. Our host is Sir Rob Wainwright, formerly head of Europol with experience coordinating global operations against cyber, criminal, and terrorist networks, and now a senior partner of Deloitte. Our guest is Alois Sweeney, the Managing Director at the World Economic Forum and former head of its Center for Cybersecurity. Its flagship annual event is hosted in Davos at the end of January and brings together leaders for up to five days to discuss global issues across 500 public and private sessions. But that is just one highlight of the broad mission of the World Economic Forum. It's an international organization for public-private cooperation. The forum engages the foremost political, business, cultural, and other leaders of society to shape global, regional, and industry agendas. One thing responsible businesses take into account is the forum's global risk report. Over 750 global experts and decision makers are asked to rank their biggest concerns in terms of likelihood and impact. And the latest report published Climate change and environmental risks feature within the top five risks over the next 10 years. Geopolitical tensions, economic challenges, and cyber attacks feature among the top five short-term global risks that will increase in 2020. Alois and Rob explore the nature of these global risks, including where pandemics fit in the picture. Over to you both. Well, thank you, Rodney. Welcome back, listeners, and a warm welcome to you, Alois. Thanks for joining us uh, today. Great summary from uh, from Rodney about the World Economic Forum in his introduction. Of course, it celebrated its 50th anniversary this year. And, you know, Davos has this flagship event, you know, it's built this unrivaled status, I think, as a great connector of the world's most powerful leaders in politics and business. Well, Alois, You're a board member of the WEF. You've been working for the forum for many, many years. A real stalwart, I'm sure, knows the place inside out. I I think there's a kind of mythology almost that's developed about the power and influence of the forum. Tell me what really defines the place. What does it feel like to work there? Well, thank you, Rob, for the opportunity to be here with with you. I uh, uh, look forward to our conversation. Well, actually, I just last week... um, celebrated my 10th anniversary here at the forum so yeah i'll uh, have uh, probably a fair share of experiences uh, uh, over that time uh, it's a fascinating place and um, it is a place where uh, you know we have people from uh, more than 60 nationalities working uh, together the average age is 35 years so it's a very young and vibrant place um, you could see a culture blend in the organization between uh, an entrepreneurial culture because we have uh, even though we're a foundation we obviously have to make uh, have to make our numbers so that we can continue uh, to to exist and uh, we always want to experiment with new products and new uh, activities Um, you clearly have also a not-for-profit culture uh, an NGO culture 
I think it's fair to say that most of the people that work with us really uh, are mission driven and uh, that uh, you can feel that particularly in these times where there's a lot of tension and difficulties in the world. And as we record this, obviously, the U.S. is going through a major uh, a crisis in its society uh, with the, the uh, the, the, the racial tensions there, but uh, also the world is still reeling from the COVID outbreak. And this is something that, that really sort of uh, energizes and brings our staff uh, uh, together. And then maybe last but not least, we're also a bit of a, um, an academic culture. Uh, we have our own master's program where we have a group of about 50, 60 uh, people working with us while they do at the same time a, a master's degree. So, so it's a fascinating place and actually it's much more to it than just doubles. Yeah, as you mentioned, you know, what the, the, the tragedy, I guess, that is unfolding in the US right now and the global challenge we've had around COVID-19, we'll come on to talk about that, I, I guess, in a way, it kind of po- points to a wider challenge we have in the world around inequality uh, in, in different ways. Um, and I know the forum, I, having you know, worked alongside you and others for many years, I know the forum works uh, assiduously in these areas. I mean, it, nonetheless, you know, the whole sort of Davos setup, it is a kind of glitterati of 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 celebrities and it gets this tag sometimes for being a rich man's club doesn't it and i just wondered you know how would you respond to to that 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 criticism from some quarters well i think it's uh, really something that we take very serious because when the forum was founded 50 years ago for our founder klaus schwab uh, it, it was absolutely crucial that he wanted to have all parts of society represented in the activities of the World Economic Forum. And of course, he was uh, targeting business leaders. And of course, he was also targeting um, political leaders. But from the very beginning, he was actually bringing um, really, really dissenting voices to to Davos. Uh, So, uh, you know, names like Petra Kelly, who was one of the founding members of the Green Party in Germany. She was uh, she was in Davos uh, back then. Or Dom Helder Camara, who was a um, Brazilian um, bishop or or cardinal, actually, who was very, very critical of, uh, uh, you know, the the establishment back then. And it actually led to members of the World Economic Forum at that time to walk away from the World Economic Forum because uh, they felt that uh, we were we were doing um, uh, we were creating too much controversy. So actually, my response will be even today, if you look at the participants of a typical annual meeting or a typical forum gathering, you would always find um, representatives from the business and the, the political sphere, but also the young voices, the twenty-year-olds, uh, the, the the climate youth, or, or the or the younger. I mean, Greta, of course, was a, was a star speaker um, um, this year. Yeah. On the one hand, so the first year we were sort of wow, you know, the World Economic Forum brings Greta to Davos, and then sort of the next year we're obviously getting stick for this. But um, I think. One of the challenges that we face as the organizer of Davos is also a bit the parallel universe that happens in in, in that location, uh, which is totally outside of our control and uh, which obviously gets associated with, with, with our brand. So I think we're fully aware of the challenge that we have. And I think what it drives us is um, to be more and more focused on impact and, and creating tangible outcomes 
than just you know bringing people together than to talk. Yeah, and if we talk about impact, we mentioned Greta, climate change, we already mentioned inequality. There is the annual global risk report, which is published by the forum, and it's often you know a, a main feature of of the annual meeting at Davos. I know that. What about the coronavirus pandemic and this year's uh, risk report? There it was, debated by the world's leaders in January. Um, had you anticipated a pandemic of this type? Um, was it on your on your global risk map, for example? Yeah, in preparation for this conversation, I actually went back the last five years, so I didn't I didn't go back further than that. But it featured every year, and every year on the impact axis, it featured above average impact. So compared to others, and it's it's interesting if you look at the compare it with some of the other impacts that I've seen with the same level was terrorist attacks uh, or in interstate warfare. So. Um, business leaders and political leaders seem to have seen, at least over the last five years, the um, impact of a global pandemic as, as as something really serious. What was interesting over the last five years, including the, 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 the January 2020 report, is that the likelihood was below average. So I think, uh, you know, people people realize that if something happens, it'll hit us hard. But we probably all underestimated the, the likelihood of, uh, of, of, of the pandemic. It's interesting, isn't it? Because, of course, you have some of the world's greatest scientists and thinkers from that, that field also as part of the forum. They will have been contributing to, to that debate, maybe, and even that report. And, and yet a lot of the narrative, you know, in the last few months has been how the world's been caught by surprise and, that's not quite true, is it? I, I think I take your point about the likelihood, but but it's it's not quite true. And what does it say, do you think, about you know the the ability of the world, maybe as a sort of united global community, to deal with something that's so obviously a global crisis? Yeah, uh, I think what we see here a bit is a phenomenon of short termism, uh, in the following sense that if you're a business leader, um, obviously you know. You, Sort of the, the stock market forces you to think from quarter to quarter, even though we see now more and more business leaders um, advocating for a, a longer view and uh, they, they, some businesses even pledge not to, not to publish quarterly reports anymore. And if we look at the political side, I mean, the, there it's not the quarterly, the quarterly cycle, but it's the election or re-election cycle. And, and and then I also think, you know, we're usually worried about what's right in our face. And to, to your point or to your question, have we seen that coming? I also went back to um, annual meeting programs of previous years. And in 2016, we had two sessions. One session was called Preparing for the Next Pandemic. So, you know, four, four years ago. And another one was Tracking Pandemics and the, the whole tracking um, thing is, is, is very much on everybody's mind right now when, now that we open up. Then a year later, we actually launched an initiative, um, that was the SEPI, the Coalition for Epidemic Preparedness Innovation. So that was a, that was a, um, a program or an initiative that was actually looking at innovative ways how to deal in the preparation for, for, tell for me, a, tell for me, a Luis, I mean, in terms of what you, what the forum has, has, has 
has done in the meanwhile, in the, in the last few months, in helping maybe to mobilize the business community in the way that it of, often does. What's been happening and uh, how active have, the, have business leaders been around this agenda? Are we seeing real sort of tangible outcomes of cooperation? Yeah, I think uh, we were actually enormously positively surprised at the um, uptake of uh, uh, what we called the COVID-19 action platform. Uh, Klaus Schwab, our founder, he's, uh, he, he's a member of an advisory board at the WHO. Uh, and so he was actually very early exposed to what's going on. And I, I, I remember he was actually sort of telling us, I think we need to let, uh, let people stay home much earlier than actually the Swiss government asked us all to stay home. So in that sense, he did have privileged information or, 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 or he was just, you know, closer to the, to the uh, challenge. And, and in that sense, um, I think it was for us, uh, not a surprise that he launched this uh, COVID-19 action platform. And it was done in collaboration with WHO, because I think that's also important to note. The World Economic Forum would never see itself like a competitor to any sort of official body out there. We actually offer our support and our platform. And so it started sort of with weekly calls of business leaders, government leaders looking at ways to engage and to and to um uh, and to look for solutions and it's actually quite amazing uh, what kind of uh, responses we got and I'll give a couple of examples to to you and the uh, uh the people listening to this so uh, Tata group uh, pledged 200 million dollars uh, to protect uh, fragile communities and, and the protection there was really with, with equipment, with, uh, but also with, with, with training. Um, Carlsberg actually increased its grants for art museums, research organizations and youth organizations. So interesting, um, take that they have, uh, Well, they got this great history. I think in Carlsberg, the Carlsberg Foundation, which stretches back over a hundred years, you know, it's, it's something that's very close to, to, to their heart. And, and I know that many other companies have have have, uh, have really done some extraordinary things to help. I mean, what does it say? Do you think about the idea of of the business community, not just in crisis times, but more normally, uh, you know, moving to this a different agenda of stakeholder capitalism, perhaps, or so called responsible business, which is what this podcast series is is, is about? Are you detecting detecting an underlining? underlying trend in that direction? I mean, I can only speak for the businesses that are um, associated to the to the World Economic Forum, but it's actually already for a number of years that we see business leaders um, changing the tone, but also changing the focus of, uh, you know, things that they that they look at this, this um, sort of pure capitalism that, uh, you know, we we might associate with the business with American business schools of the seventies, uh, um, and so really you don't hear that uh, with our communities. Uh, people are really worried about um, climate change, and I would say the business community has understood the threats of climate change in a much much faster way than than maybe politicians have. At least that's uh, sort of what I what I see. Or the whole discussion around the ESG reporting and the focus on ESG and how, how, how do you become more transparent about what you do and, and how you do things? Um, 
but also uh, I think businesses have become much more um, concerned about how you engage the workforce and how uh, who, who do you work with. Uh, actually, the working with uh, even extends to the supply chain. I mean, here in Switzerland, we have now um, an initiative, uh, an initiative as in a, a political initiative to uh, to force the the the, the Swiss um, headquarters to apply Swiss law to wherever they operate. And if they don't respect what's uh, what's required here in Switzerland, in any subsidiary somewhere in the world that can actually be brought to court here in Switzerland. I'm not saying that the business leaders love this idea, uh, but but clearly this is the zeitgeist of today where, where uh, as a business leader, if you ignore uh, that, I, I think your your customers and your employees will will not will not stick with you. Yeah, and that's what I've been hearing more and more from from the people I've had the pleasure of of speaking to during this this series, Eloise. And I mean, turning also to one of our the pet subjects that we have in common, cybersecurity. I mean, that's of course, I guess, like a pandemic in a sense. You know, a, a, has a viral capacity to to strike down communities and organizations. Um, is it, again, is the underlying trend towards a degree of global cooperation, is it in a healthier state now than it was a few years ago? Do you see that still going in the right direction? I think there I have a more pessimistic view uh, because I think that, especially with regards to the global cooperation, I think that the, the geopolitical tensions right now are probably standing in the way of making real, real progress there. Um, uh, by the way, if I may quickly um, jump back to the risk report, we launched a risk survey during the COVID crisis with the same community that we do usually every year. And we wanted to understand sort of uh, now that you're in the middle of the crisis, what's most worrisome to you? Uh, and actually cyber attacks and data fraud um, was the number three worry that these uh, that, that, that this survey um, uh, you know, brought brought to light. The number one was prolonged recession of the global economy, uh, and then uh, the second concern was surge in bankruptcies um, of large organizations and SME, and 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 then uh, you know the sort of the collapse of some of of some industries. But I think it shows that uh, you know while in the last years the cyber threats in our risk report have been somewhere between number five and number ten. That during this COVID crisis, it jumps up to number three, I think tells us something. Um, so um, I'm actually to your question, I'm actually less optimistic or, or looking at the current state of affairs, probably within a given country. There is more people, you know, public and private sector get, getting more together on protecting the assets from cyber attacks. But globally, I think we're in a very difficult spot right now. Well, let's put an Englishman's spin on that, shall we? Instead of calling it pessimism, let's let's call it realism, maybe. Oh, there you go. Been around the track enough times, and I absolutely understand what you're saying. Listen, the WEF motto, we know the World Economic Forum, you know, has had this motto of committed to improving the state of the world. It's it's a lofty ambition. Um, I guess in general, though, coming out of COVID-19, um, is the for I'm sure the forum remains energized ar around that that ambition and and how do you see the next next few years for for the forum panning out? Yeah, I, I think like many other organizations, we were sort of uh, 
um, really forced to approach things differently. Uh, I'll give you a couple of examples. Working from home in our organization was never something that we felt would work, nor was it encouraged. Um, to the contrary, actually, we felt, you know, those um, th th those uh, uh, you know creative collisions, as as Google's calls it, around the water cooler, uh, was 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 very much what what we believe in. Serendipity is also one of those buzzwords that that we might use w when you engage with us. You never know who you meet, and so so uh, you know working from home was out of the question. It will not go away. I'm absolutely sure that our organization will change the way that we work among ourselves. The other thing that we did very quickly was um, obviously we had to cancel all physical events till, you know, far into the fall. Um, and we replaced them with virtual events. So literally within a week or so, we built like a TV studio in one of our meeting rooms. And the fact that we have some former TV folks uh, in our media uh, team obviously helped for them. It was somehow natural uh, to do that. Um, so we started to, you know, organize webinars. Well, tell me, tell me though, Alois, how, how, how on earth are you going to run a virtual rich man's club at Davos <laughs> next year? <laughs> How's that going to work? <laughs> well, it's going to work like, like it, it would work uh, physically, you know, uh, meaning we bring hopefully interesting topics uh, to the table. We bring interesting people to the table. And, uh, you know, maybe like uh, in reality in, in Davos, uh, a conversation that starts in the Congress Center might continue somewhere else. Um, and, and so uh, may, maybe that that happens here as well. But I think you put the finger on a on a on an important point. I think going forward, you would never see, in my view, the World Economic Forum becoming a virtual organization. I think that the, the fact that people want to people want to stay together they want to they want to meet other people we are social animals uh, i mean i just observe now how we we swiss start to uh, behave now that the lockdown is starting to get uh, opened up and uh, clearly pe people want to meet and i i guess that's also in that context that we have uh, announced this morning uh, it's uh, june the 3rd this morning that we will have a, a physical annual meeting in Davos next year, obviously um, within the um, possibilities that the authorities will allow at that uh, moment. But we, we do believe that there is um, the, the need for, for, for a physical meeting. People want to meet. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think we are social animals and, and, and the forum is, is a great social club, of course. Um, good luck with managing the sort of social distancing rules of doing that meeting. Having been there a few times, um, it, it is, it is quite a logistical event. And I know you've been involved in running, uh, running that event for so many years. Well, on, on that more optimistic note, maybe that life will go on. The business community will, will still meet in this, in perhaps uh, a similar way in the future. I'd like to thank you, Aloise, for being our guest in this episode. Well, we've talked about Davos, uh, and it's not just an expensive ski resort. As we know, for 50 years, it's been home to the annual meeting of the World Economic Forum, an iconic global event for leaders and opinion shifters. 
Though it has attracted from some a certain tag of elitism, the forum has been credited with helping governments and businesses around the world move to a more productive position of collaboration on issues ranging from sustainability to how the world should navigate the digital revolution. The idea of responsible business, therefore, in the name of improving the state of the world, a quote from its motto, seems embedded in the DNA of the forum. And if nothing else, COVID-19 is a reminder to us all of the deficit we face in the ability of the world to join together in united fashion to deal with urgent global crises. Perhaps the role of the World Economic Forum, therefore another such global organization, has never been more important than now. As we look ahead to a new age of business collaboration in the spirit and cause of responsible business. Thanks for listening to another episode of Insights on Responsible Business. Hope you enjoyed it and that you'll tune in to our next episode. Review us on Spotify, the iTunes podcast app, or whatever popular podcast app you're using, and find out more on Deloitte.nl. We'll see you in our next episode.